Before we jump into today's episode, we want to talk to you about Internet Church. Rich, what is Internet Church? Oh, it's only the best internet gathering this side of the Kailua River. Is the Kailua River a thing? Maybe we should start over. <laughs> let's let's do it again. Ask me again. <laughs> no, let's leave it in. Now no, no, let's talk about Internet Church. Uh, internet Church. Actually, it's a thing we do every other Friday night where we all gather together, uh, encourage the saints in truth. It's uplifting. It's edifying. It's just a time to gather for about an hour on a Friday night or day, depending what part of the world you're in, just to be encouraged by the saints. You you think you would like something like that? Is the Pope Catholic? Uh, you bet your sweet bippy the Pope is Catholic. And uh, Justin, Internet Church is all about gospel freedom. It's good. I'm trying to think of the follow-up question. <laughs> oh, I'm like, man, this thing is lagging. Uh, all right. If No. Absolutely love it. So if you were going to... No. What are we going for? Are we trying to be funny or are we trying to be serious? I don't know. I I mean, whatever. I, we're trying to let people know that... Oh, <laughs> I'm not as gifted as you are in this department, my friend. So join us every other Friday night, 8 o'clock Central, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern. If you are international and want to add that to your calendar so you don't have to do all the time conversions, head on over to lovereality.org slash circles and add the Internet Church Circle to your calendar. Welcome back to The Move, where we're vibing through the book 10 minutes at a time. I'm your host, Justin Koo, and in today's episode, we're talking about that one time in the Bible where Jacob throws away all of his Pokemon cards and Harry Potter books. If you're wondering, what are we looking at? Genesis chapter 35, verses 1 through 15. Now, Jonathan, you are old as dirt, and I don't know if you understood that reference, but do you understand what I'm making reference to when I say throwing away the Pokemon cards and the Harry Did you live through that experience? First of all, you're a liar, <laughs> sir. One, I am not old as dirt. Oh. Two, uh... We are not going to spend 10 minutes on this. No, that's true. Double lies. Right. Oh, that's not good. And three, there is no Pokemon or Harry Potter <laughs> in this passage, although I do understand the reference. And yes, every time you were convicted by God, I'm old enough, right? Okay. Not as old as there, but I'm old enough to remember. I'm throwing out all I'm, all of my CDs. What was the CD that you remember out. getting rid of? You probably cracked one, threw it in the dumpster. What was that CD? Oh, uh, well, see, that's the thing. I wasn't bold enough to crack it because I knew somewhere in the back of my head I would just You'd come back. I'd come it. back and grab them. <laughs> So I was like, oh, I'm just going to throw these here. I'm not going to crack them because I'm not coming back. Why do that extra effort in order to try to prove myself as though I'm really committed? Because being committed is just throwing them away. Yeah. 30 minutes later. Uh -oh. right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm back. Get all the way down. Yeah, so I remember uh, one, of, one of the albums that I remember throwing away, like, this is demonic, was um, DMX. Okay. Right? I mean, his first two albums, any of his albums, but his first album was, um, it's called This Dark and Hell is Hot. Right. And then I can't remember the second album, what it was called, but it's him in a pool of blood coming out of a, oh. ba uh, a, a tub. That so might have been one of those that. that you probably should have broken. Yeah. 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 And um, if, if you remember. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> so what stuck out to me in, in today's passage in Genesis 35 was the moment where Jacob tells everybody, get rid of all your pagan idols and they go and they bury them in the ground. And yeah. A couple things have stood out to me when I was reading this is one. This is a long time in the story for people to still have pagan idols. Now, we, we remember a little bit earlier, one of the wives steals the family idols. We yeah. had a conversation around that. So I guess that that makes sense. But just the tolerance for pagan idols up to this point in the story, I think that's interesting. And second, 
the idea of these idols being presumably very valuable, the fact that they just bury them in the ground and leave them behind. I thought both of those points were rather interesting. Yeah, yeah. And so you have this expectation on our part that I think is an incorrect one okay. where we would expect that because they have a relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they recognize that there is no other God, that other gods are an illusion and that they should not show any sort of allegiance as though hmm. they're living in light of um, the Christianized understanding of the Ten Commandments, right? Sure. Well, okay. Well, that's Where, interesting. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Right. So that, the fact that that would have to be uttered is assuming that that's not the status quo at this point in time. Yeah, because every single piece of land and territory has a multiplicity of gods, right? Mm -hmm. These divine beings that... Um, have some sort of jurisdiction over the land and jurisdiction over peoples so that when Jacob uh, goes over to Laban and Laban is probably exposed to the multiplicity of these gods and Laban being the pragmatist that he is, the businessman that he is, I'm sure would have aligned himself with a god or two in order to secure blessing and prosperity for him and his estate. Now, that's an assumption, but... Um, Something that we do know clearly about the time and setting of Genesis chapter 35 is that when they speak of gods, they're speaking of divine beings who might have been on some hierarchical order of authority and power. Hmm. They're speaking of divine beings that might have been on some hierarchical order of authority and power. For example... The God of a small band of people might not be the same God as the greatest nation on the earth at this time, mm -hmm. right? Um, the God of the Philistines is not the God of Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. And so dependent on who had more um, geopolitical prowess, that was an indication of the power of the God. So mm -hmm. if Pharaoh could destroy the Philistines, then his God was better. Exactly, right? So so the idea of them distancing themselves from all these other gods who maybe have had a bit of a reputation up to this point, there might have been some pre prestige attached to their to their their idols or whatever the case is, to get rid of those and then to pledge allegiance to a god who's the god of the homeless vagabond. Yeah. That's and, kind and, of a radical move. Yeah, and it's a radical move because the god of the homeless vagabond is the one who is requiring that there is no other gods before me, meaning mm. that I take priority over each and every single one of these other gods, not just merely that there are no other gods. Interesting. Okay, so so the claim of there's no other, have no other gods before me is uh, an assumption that there is a hierarchy of gods, and he's just simply making a claim that I'm the best or I'm yeah, the most preeminent. Yeah. And so it's not all other gods are false. They're just illusions. They're just shadows. Yeah and whispers, but th there might be some divine figures that are out there that are claiming uh, some level of territory, mm -hmm. but I'm just claiming that I'm preeminent among all of them. Yeah, and this comes to our understanding of the concept of God, particularly those three words in English, G-O-D. That's not something you find in the Hebrew, right? Okay. Particularly because they don't use our alphabet and the way they actually conceive of gods is a little different. So okay. when they say God, they don't think about the classical view of God that we have inherited through the Greeks, hmm. right? They actually think, as I understand it, in the realm that any, any beings who are Elohim, 
are actually beings that belong to a divine sort of realm. Something like, you know, if anybody's familiar with Michael Heiser and some of the work that he's done, he's written this book called The Unseen Realm. And one of the key takeaways that he makes is that the conception of Elohim, right? Mm -hmm. God or gods, because the him in Hebrew is plural, is that there is a multiplicity of divine beings. Now, these divine beings are not by necessity what you and I would conceive of as God. Like that uncaused they, causes. Yeah, they're the uncaused cause, that they're omnipotent, that they're uh, uh, omnipresent, that they are immutable, like these classical features of God. That's not at all what's going on so, here. So beings that could potentially fit under this Elohim expanded an, uh, uh, conception of what God is, this more Hebrew, as you're, you're, you're iterating. Well, more of, ancient Near Eastern, where the Near Hebrews uh, and the Israelites, would, who don't exist quite yet right they'd now. they'd be influenced they, by yep, So right. So figures could extend to angels they could extend to the kinds of things that we read about in daniel or ezekiel these figures with these wings and yeah. multiple eyes or yeah. maybe some of the beasts that we see in revelation theoretically could be the kinds of things that they would consider part of the elohim yeah and and you know again this sort of transfer that we make in order to make sense of this conversation your use of the word angels is actually a call back to the Greek understanding mm. of angelos, right? Where it's a transliteration, transliteration yeah. meaning that we use that word and we English, Anglicanize it. We, we use it, right? So it's <laughs> angelos or angelos in the Greek, we say angel, but that word is actually the content of that word just simply means messenger, hmm. right? So that messenger can be any class of being, right? So it could be a seraphim or a cherubim, Right. And then categorically can be an angel because it's a messenger. But the certain class of being, whether it's seraphim or cherubim in scripture, seraphim and cherubim, those are created beings. Hmm. Right. But they belong to the Elohim. supernatural yeah. realm. Yeah. yeah you understand? Yeah. I understand. So there are these beings in the supernatural realm that can correspond to what we understand as gods, but they are not the God of gods. They are not Yahweh. They are not El Elyon, the Hebrew has, the highest God, right? The God of gods, right? Uh, El Most High, God Most High, El Elyon. So for us to conceive that in the ancient Near Eastern world of Jacob, that there is a multiplicity of gods, as it were, there are Elohim, right? There are many Elohim, but only one Elohim is Yahweh. Yeah. And what Yahweh is telling Jacob is that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and I'm your God. You put all others away and subservient to me. And not only subservient to me, but like you put them all away. You leave them all behind. Leave them all behind in the countries that they belong to. Hmm. As you're coming over and crossing over into this territory, this is me, this is mine, and I am above all. And not only am I the God of this territory, but wink, wink, I am actually the God of gods. Wow. I am the uncaused cause. I am he who is the greatest amongst all of them. And you are mine because I chose you. So the bearing of the idols is a significantly more monumentous event for them than it's it would huge. have been for you and I bearing our Pokemon cards or for you DMX's yeah. CD or whatever the case is. It's it's more than they they buried gold or silver or bronze, which could have been very valuable monetarily. It's a it's a massive leap in as far as faith is considered to say we're leaving behind all these other gods. Mm -hmm. We're moving into this territory and realm mm -hmm. of this god who at this point is it, from what we can tell is the god of the homeless vagabond. Yeah, because this is a callback to Abraham. Yeah. 
God actually comes and appears to Abraham in some sort of theophany back in Genesis 12 and calls him out from under the power of other Elohim in Ur of the Chaldeans. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to understand that the Chaldeans are the astrologers of the day, right? They're the, 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 they are the priests and chieftains. Soothsayers, I think is how Daniels talks about it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the ones who actually have some sort of connection with the gods, right? They're the ones who actually do the, they are the divines of the age. So when God appears to Abraham and is like, yeah, what they're doing, that's not it. You come with me, Hmm. right? This is a full circle moment when now the grandson of Abraham God appears to him at Bethel, and oh man, the layers here is so dope because he appears to him where he appeared to him 20 years earlier. Right. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he saw the ladder, and he was like, this place is amazing. God must be in this place. And he erects a, a, a pillar of stone, and I think back in you know Genesis 27, 28, wherever that is, he pours oil on it, and he's like, man, if if you will bring me back, if you will do this, then you will be my God. Wow. Right? He's coming back, and God's like, hey. Check. <laughs> I am your God, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and what's so dope about the intervening 20 years is that God has gone before him and with him and has brought him back. And now in bringing him back, it's again the revelation. Yeah, I am your God. And since I am your God, you put any and all other allegiances away mm. because I don't play that. Mm. Like it's you and me because I fully commit to you and because of my full commitment, I want you to surrender to my full commitment to you, right? Yeah. This is why he's ultimately named Israel, right? He wrestles with God, right, earlier in chapter 32 and finally surrenders. Like, I can't. Oh, my. <laughs> and it's in light of that surrender that he's returning to this place 20 years later. And like, yeah, you are who you say you are. And because you are who you say you are, I'm going to live in the truth of that. I think it's so interesting. It's probably the second, or maybe not second, it's probably the uh, focal point of our passage for today is the fact that he gets a name change. And and as a kid, I wondered why did this matter? Uh, you know, I, I'm someone with, uh, a, a, for Americans, it seems like a very difficult last name to to pronounce on a first read. You know, everyone mm-hmm. always says Justin Coey or mm-hmm. Justin Co. No, it's Justin Koo, like mm-hmm. shoe with a K. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, when someone would call me by the wrong name mm-hmm. or whatever, it wasn't it wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. And yet now in later in my my walk with Christ, like I'm starting to 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 really see the power of identifying by that which God calls me and not mm-hmm. that which other people call me. Help mm-hmm. me to understand what would the implication for Jacob have been to receive a new name. Well, think about what his name is, and it's been highlighted previously. Like, isn't 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 it true that his name is Jacob because he is a deceiver, right? Somebody says about him previously. Isn't it in keeping with his acts of deceiving his father Mm -hmm. that he's appropriately named, right? Mm -hmm. And so isn't it also the sort of um, aspersion that's cast upon him? It's the sort of remark that's made about him when he gets rich in light of Laban's uh, scheming against him. Ah, he somehow deceived our father, Mm -hmm. the sons of Laban, for him to, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And at this point, this is, you know, where Jacob's actually experiencing seemingly a transition of like, oh, no, he's trusting God and God is bringing this prosperity to him because God promised. So that Jacob is beginning to have the, the, the there's seemingly this identity shift where he's like, I don't need to be the laborer who w- trades in deceit or deception that I am the recipient of the promise and to rest in that is the actual strength of my life Mm -hmm. and to actually have a name that reflects 
that I am a prince with God, that I struggled with God, right? That my identity is attached to him because I am the heir of the promise. And to actually rest in that as opposed to resting in the identity or working from the identity of deceiver, I could only imagine was so monumental because he sees the faithfulness of God. Now, this is something that's going to be brought up later. I imagine probably by Genesis 48 or 49, that when Jacob is actually blessing the sons of Joseph, right? Mm -hmm. Do you remember what he does for Ephraim and Manasseh? What just was about, he's to bless him. Joseph brings Ephraim and Manasseh to um, Isaac, I'm sorry, to Jacob. And just as Jacob is about to bless him, this is at the end of the book. You remember he crosses his hands? Mm. And uh, Joseph's like, no, 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 no. You did it wrong. You, you did it wrong. wrong. You this is the up. older one. And Isaac, Jacob tells him, nope. No, I know what I'm doing. Huh. One of my seminary professors brought out, he's like, in that moment, this is when my seminary professor sort of surmised, he's like, in that moment, Jacob is actually performing what might have happened to him back. If he didn't. Like, if he hadn't up. screwed it with Esau and Jacob, yeah. that just the switch of the hands. Like, oh, no, you got the wrong one. Nah, I know what I'm doing. Mm. Right? And so he wouldn't have to work 20 years in deception and carry that identity, mm. but that the simplicity of just trusting God and resting and that the promise was going to be fulfilled to have a name that marks that I would imagine is of such great importance. And in this passage, just to keep sort of going in this passage, there's a, a re a, a re sort of reannouncing of the, the promise, promise yeah. to a, to, to um, Jacob, right? The same promise that was given to Abraham. So again, we see evidence of God, uh, proving his faithfulness. You know, it, it's it's interesting because I asked the question, like, what's what's the utility? What's the value of identifying with the new name? And and it's it's interesting because just a couple of days ago, I was talking to a friend who's kind of wrestling through his identity and gospel and all the things, and just really struggling to believe that which God says about him. Mm -hmm. And. And I get why that's hard to believe. I, I get why it's hard to understand why that's important because it, it, it on I think on a on a first look it can feel inconsequential. Like mm -hmm. that's not really going to solve my problem. That's not really going to help me out of this bind that I'm in. That's not really going to do all that you you claim for it to be able to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that actually, yeah, no, that that is the claim. It's literally just believe that when he calls you something new, that you're that. Mm -hmm. That when he gives you a new identity, that the old one is gone. And that mm -hmm. when we believe that, when it's activated with faith, grace is given to us the power to actually walk it out. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting in light of that is that when God meets Jacob, Jacob is actually, there's a movement here. Mm -hmm. Jacob is moving from the land of his sojourning, right, to Bethel. And as he's moving, he and his company take off any and every mark that is related to another God. Mm. And they're entering into allegiance with this God, right? Mm. And think about this imagery. This God is waiting at that very place where he had pronounced that he would be faithful. Mm. And Jacob is coming to him, right? And the and and it, uh, let me see if I read this here. This is this is so incredible for me. We're in Genesis thirty-five, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, let's see, um, it's the spot where he talks about the nations around them. Um, Verse eleven and twelve. That well, there was terror, right? That oh, terror yeah, yeah. terror befell them, right? Mm -hmm. uh, 
Verse, uh, five. Verse 5. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to lose, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. So this dude, he's coming to God, right? And terror falls on people. And a corridor of safety is created for him. Okay, so we had some technical difficulties, and that's why I'm in a different T-shirt. And a much worse camera. And a much worse camera. But we just want to conclude our thought. Yes. Yeah? And so you have this humanitarian corridor that's being created. You have this corridor where now Jacob is walking through, and he's returning to that place where it was Bethel. The house where God originally showed up. And what I like to imagine, if I haven't said this before, I can't recall how I said it, but that this is the same God who is now leading him back to the place where this God was committed to be with Jacob, even though Jacob didn't know the full commitment of this God. Hmm. And it's only 20 years later that he's realizing, man, these 20 years of deception and these 20 years of me trying to work it out my own way. This is the God that promised to secure this for me 20 years prior. Yeah. And here I am back. And now you see this imagery, again, this corridor, this humanitarian corridor, where on either side, there are those who have fallen into the terror of God because the one that God has chosen that stewards the promise of bringing life to humanity is actually walking through. This is a precursor, Justin, Hmm. of another corridor that's going to be presented in the text. Maybe not so much in Genesis, right? We'll have some allusions to it in Genesis, but now think about the people that will come from the body of Jacob and his 12 children. Yeah, I was thinking Exodus. That's right. Yeah. That one day they will be enslaved and they will too walk through a corridor, right? Mm -hmm. And then ultimately think about the one who is the fulfillment of the promise that will come Hmm. and that he himself is the corridor that you and I then get to walk through, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. He's the one that blazes the trail through death so that you and I can come out on the other side. Mm. We're the ones that get to walk through this corridor because he leads us into triumph. Mm. So you have all these images coming together right here in the story of Jacob, their beginning. And um, you see again, as we've so often gone back to, that this is the story about the faithfulness of a God in spite of the failures, foibles, shortcomings of the people that he's committed to. And he's committed to them because the integrity of who he is and the love that he has set upon them cannot be violated because of who he is. And he's going to see it through even to the point of him finally coming, giving his own life so that he can walk us through this corridor in the same way that Jacob has walked. And so already you see uh, the themes coming together of the beautiful faithfulness of this God that Jacob is coming into full trust 